WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, the Phillies are currently in play, so we won't go there. We've got an excellent interview coming up with John Dorenboss in a little bit that we'll get to. But I'm going to start this show like I do every week. Did you watch During the football season. Thursday night football? No, I did not watch Thursday night football. But I know you are aware because I was texting you mm-hmm. as I was horrified watching it. And I'll let you take it away and then I'll fill in other details. There are so many people that did so many things wrong with regard to the way this was handled. There is nobody from the NFL to the Dolphins to Tua Tagliavoa to anybody that did anything right in this situation. Years ago, we had the guy on who the movie The Concussion was about. He showed us what it was like to get a concussion. And I remember him saying it wasn't the first concussion that was the biggest problem. It was the repetitiveness of the concussions that caused serious long-term damage. Last week, just so we're clear, five days ago, Not even a week, five days ago, we had a situation where a player got his head hit against a hard ground, and he got up and he looked like he had no bones in his body. He wobbled around like a piece of spaghetti. And somehow he went out for, what, three plays? And he came back in, and everything was fine. And there's no question now, I'm not a doctor, but I haven't heard anybody say, any football player who's ever been on a field say, He didn't have a concussion. And somehow, five days later, he comes on the field, gets hit, and it wasn't like a a horrible blow to his head, helmet-to-helmet thing. He lands on the same spot, and he's laying there for 10 minutes. Now, you can go off after this all you want, but I have for years told you there is no benefit to, to Thursday night football. Now, I've given as one of the reasons that they usually put on crappy games. But I've also said, and we've had other players that have sat there and said, that your body doesn't recover that quickly. And the NFL has now put this player and lots of players in a position that their bodies can't recover. And instead we have a situation where this guy has a brain injury, a concussion is a brain injury. No, no, it's just a concussion, Jeff. That's how the it's been told to me. Said it's that he had nothing more serious than a concussion. Yeah, I mean, compared to a broken neck, a concussion, a long-term brain injury, you know, they're both kind of bad. Yeah, they're both pretty bad. Like it's not like, oh, you didn't break your bones, therefore you're okay. They don't even have any idea what the long-term effects are now. Let's take a step back. Well, yeah, whoa, whoa. We do know what the long-term effects are. No, no, no. For him in particular. We right. know in general mm-hmm. what the long-term effects are. Yeah. But for his specific case, they don't know. But for them to say he's okay, he only has a concussion, they don't even know enough to say he's okay, he only has a concussion because it could turn into something worse. Well, what we do know, though, is they somehow decided that they didn't have to do the investigation until after this game. 
So you allowed him to come back on the field. And, and by the way, I just wanted to, because people keep saying he cleared the concussion test, the little test that they did in the tent. Now, I've heard players all day long say that some of them actually will flunk that concussion baseline test at the beginning of this year so that they can continue to play because they'll pass it even if they have a concussion or some series of symptoms, and that they all seem to know how to game the system. Now, I'm not saying that's right. They shouldn't do that. They should want to protect themselves and, and not just their careers, but protect their lives. Most football players are done by the age of 30, and they have a whole life ahead of them, and they should want to have that life be as, as amazing as possible with their children and their spouses and everything else. So they, they, they're not absolved of this completely. But somebody's got to sit there and say, this can't happen. We have to make sure that these kinds of things don't happen. So there's a rule that says if there is evidence of, and the phrase is gross motor instability, a player shall not reenter the game, regardless of whether or not they pass the concussion protocol. Wobbling around and looking like a spaghetti noodle after you get up, to me, would be evidence of gross motor instability. Even if you buy that that was his back that gave out and that's why he fell there, why was he shaking his head before that? Like, that was a sign that somebody should have taken it out. And I was shocked that he was back in the game. And people are like, oh, well, clearly he was okay because he played well the rest of the game. There are people that have played games of football that tell you they don't remember playing that that. game of football. And Mm -hmm. they've played and played well. So just because he was able to perform the job and seemed okay afterwards doesn't mean that there wasn't a serious injury. And when we did that interview with the concussion uh, specialists, I've watched football differently ever since. And I always have this conflict of, like, how much is too much? And I didn't understand first why he was out there. But the specialist said to us, if you have a concussion at seven years old, I can't tell you that you had it at seven years old. But when I see your brain at 70 years old, I'll know you had that concussion. Mm -hmm. And you watch this. They didn't even John Harbaugh was horrified by it. He said he couldn't believe what he saw. He was astonished. And you don't put them out there until they're ready. That's another coach in the league saying that look i'd like to believe that he will he's saying what he means i think there's a lot of people now sitting there saying i wouldn't do this to kind of cover their own butts and try to not make this a bigger situation than it is but the fact is like i've i've heard stories so if everybody remembers ryan clark ryan clark is now on espn a lot he was on the steelers and mike tomlin was his coach and he had a medical situation he had to come out of a game in, Den- I think it was in Denver because he had something I think called sickle cell trait. And they later played a game and he couldn't, pl- he shouldn't have played. He wanted to play. He apparently put together a group of players to go ahead and, and say, I heard this story. I hope, I hope I'm retelling it correctly. And that, that he put together a group of players to go to the coach and say, hey, he, sh- he should be able to play. And Mike Tomlin listened for a couple minutes and then he said, you know what? If you were my son, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. You're not playing. That coach I know is going to look out for a player, his players. I hope every coach looks out for his players. But the fact is, even if a doctor had told most people that care about the people that they're working with, look, he's okay to go back in the game. He passed a test. Doesn't mean you should put him back in. As a coach, I would be shaken by what I had seen. This is not a situation where you saw a concussive-type blow and he hopped back up. He had a concussive-type blow 
got up, stumbled, and only didn't fall to the ground because two of his teammates were right there. And at that point, your eyes have to tell you more than what a doctor is telling you. I know they want to be undefeated. I know that they want to sit there and win the division. All of those things. But you at some point have to say, we have to take care of these players. They're not just assets. They're human beings. In terms of the coverage of it, I could have done without all of the replays that Amazon kept showing of his fingers up uh, towards his face, which is apparently a neurological reaction to trauma to the brain with no context to what was actually going on. And then they went to the half, and there was this awkward halftime panel where there was no mention of the previous concussion or questions about a concussion and no context to what occurred. It just seemed to do a disservice to the viewer. Now, on the post-show, they had more of a substantive conversation about what the NFLPA was saying, what has gone on the past week, et cetera. But I think they do the viewers a disservice not providing context to what's going on here. Well, why do you think they didn't say anything at halftime? Well, Because they didn't want viewers to tune out? I don't know if it's that. They didn't want to upset the NFL. I'm really not sure. But Richard Sherman is not somebody who's normally out, not outspoken. And I was surprised that he did not speak up for player safety given the position that he had on that particular panel. There were only four people on the panel, the host and three other former players. I, I just don't understand all of this. I mean, we talk month after month about how the NFL seems to not be able to be proactive. That everything they on do anything. is... Yeah, and, and on, on, on the concussion issue... Obviously, the NFL was not re, was not proactive originally, but it did appear that they started to become proactive. What Roger Goodell was at that game yesterday? What was he thinking as he sat there and said, "This must be close to my worst nightmare"? Like the worst nightmare would be somebody either getting paralyzed or dying on the field. But you had a situation, as you said, like his his fingers were going in directions they shouldn't be going because his brain couldn't send a signal to the rest of his body. Initially, there were people on Twitter, players and other people who thought that he had broken fingers, like a mangled hand just because of the way that it was. But it's called the fencing position. It is literally a reaction of your brain and neurological system. And Amazon kept just showing it on the replay. Not explaining, not explaining what was all. going on. It was it was really horrifying to watch. And, you know, you try to set aside your, these are people, they get hurt when you're watching football. Mm -hmm. Or we try to say, well, it's okay, they only hurt their leg or their arm, they'll get better. Or they only got their bell rung. Even that. We're way past the bell rung phrase. Well, no, we're not, though, because he made it back in the game last week. He was able to turn it into, I hurt my back, and I don't understand that. They cleared him to play on Thursday night based on, once they decided he wasn't in concussion protocols, whether his back and ankle were good enough, because that's apparently what they say was hurt mm -hmm. when we all saw what we saw. So that, that was the evaluation part, not whether he had any more concussion symptoms or anything else, as far as I understand. You're going to see a lot more about this, and... I wanted to talk about this, given how much we've talked about concussions on this show, before the injury last night, because I didn't understand how he was allowed back in last week. I felt they were all lucky. And by the way, you know, you talk about the impact of that second concussion. He's lucky he didn't do more damage in the second half that we know of last week. 
Like he had that you hit don't in the know. first half. We well, don't well, know. You, well, actually, we probably do know. Because, he probably did because we know if if you believe if you're one of the people that believes that when he was wobbling around that he had a concussion at that moment, then any subsequent blow every time he was tackled. Like for people that don't understand, you don't need a blow to your head to get a concussion. One of the things that if you ever saw the movie Concussion and, and when we had Ben and Umalu on is he talks about he did that thing with a jar where he put a tomato inside a jar with liquid. And if you just shake the jar real and then stop, your brain continues to move in fluid inside your skull and wax up against the side of your head. So if you if if he had that concussion every single time someone's hitting him. His brain is then continually pounding against the side of his skull. Without allowing it to heal from the previous trauma. Yeah. So in, instead of allowing those those damaged brain cells to repair, you're basically killing them. You're giving you're doing long-term you, damage. Well, you're not even sure. Sh- I mean, look, we're not even sure whether or not they will repair, but at least the bruising, that, that some of it could at least heal or give a time that an, a successive blow won't then have more of an impact. You're, you're just compi- – this is not one blow and then the next blow is its own separate event that doesn't have a consequence from the prior blow. The problem is is that it's all cumulative. And and if you are going to play games five days apart – you only, he only had four days off, right, because it was a Sunday game and then a Thursday game. So there were f- three days off, right? Three days off. That's it. I still don't understand why After they, don't, he couldn't they don't do it with teams that have off weeks or – bye weeks or have them play on a long week as opposed to condensing it to four days. If you're going to, to play that on Thursday night, which you you have raised this issue for a really long time, and we have talked to former players and current players about the health and preparation for a game with their body after getting beat up on Sunday to show back up there on Thursday. There's been, there was a period of time, I don't know if you remember, where I couldn't watch football yes. afterwards. And, and so now the question is, is, will people stop watching football again? I'm not saying I'm not saying the world's going to end as far as football and it's all going to stop. But you know, I've I've heard that statistically the number of kids now that are getting into football has decreased dramatically. Well, I think it's really funny. Um, not funny. This is a serious conversation. But we've talked about how the NFL is now backing flag football on the Olympics. Right. Did you see what they're doing with the Pro Bowl? Yeah, flag they're football. making it a flag football right. game. They're acknowledging with through their actions with their marketing initiatives, what they won't acknowledge with the way they treat their athletes well, on the field. I, you, you can give them credit for some things. The Pro Bowl, they're not doing because of player safety. The no, pro, I, I, The players, if you watch, a, I mean, I could watch three minutes of a Pro Bowl and, and, and after that I'm pulling my hair out because, and scratching my eyes out because there have been instances where all of a sudden the ball is hiked and the defensive linemen don't even move. My, maybe I said that wrong. Acknowledging it by pushing flag football at the lower levels okay. because they're seeing declining numbers of people play because of the physical nature of football. So I think that's a recognition through their recruitment efforts that we can't necessarily get into football, people into football the way that we used to. Well, that's enough, but that's another thing that we discussed with Dr. Romalu was that he was pressing that there's no, they shouldn't be playing contact sport no Remember, he said it should he be treated like far. cigarettes right he went ve- he went he <laughs> we, went we were taken than... back with some of the stuff that he said about how he thinks that young people should not be allowed to decide for themselves and i will be honest as i start to put well, my son so. into sports now yeah. i continue to listen to that interview in my head as to what sport should he play and where like should he play soccer where there get more head injuries dr amalu said no not that young the brain's developing 
So do I, you know, do I have to do gymnastics or basketball or something that isn't at the head? Those are all questions that I now ask as a parent, separate from a fan watching the game of should a player be allowed on the field. This was this was to wrap this up. This was the worst case scenario for the NFL. For the NFL, because this shows everything that they're that they claim to be doing right that they're not. And yeah, we'll leave it, it there. It's a very flawed process, and they need to fix it. Somehow we have to do a not smooth transition to talking about the rest of the sports we want to talk about for the next eight minutes before we go to break in the Doran Boss interview. Uh, the Eagles are Doug Peterson's coming back to town this week. They're the last the unde- Peterson Bowl. They're the last undefeated team in the NFL at three and zero. When's the la- when's the last time a coach went to coach against the team that he has a statue of himself at, which he apparently says he hasn't seen. Come on. Like in person, he hasn't seen it. Oh, he hasn't touched it. Yeah. Okay. Sirianni was asked if he had seen it. Wait a second. Sirianni was asked if he had seen it, and he was very curt. He said, yes. (laughs) You're you're telling me that when they unveiled that statue, he didn't come? Apparently, he told the reporters when he was asked that he hadn't seen it in person. I'm sure that late at night when they're here, he'll walk over when no fans are over there. And look, I would expect him to get... A applause and ovation when they come out on the field for what he did for this city, bringing us a title. How could he not? And he's a class guy. After the game starts, I'm sure he'll get booed like everybody else. I, you know, I wouldn't do necessarily more no, during the No, in Philadelphia, game. he's going to get booed? Of course. <laughs> uh, it's, it could be ugly out there uh, in terms of the weather, rain, wind coming in. Uh, what's your feel on this particular game? I, I think the Eagles win it, but I think it's closer than people think. Yeah, it's going to be ja- very close. I think Jacksonville is a better. Did you see what they did to the Chargers? You know, I was. You know, they I, annihilated. You them. know, I like. Well, uh, Justin Herbert, in fairness, <laughs> shouldn't have been out there. With his okay, friends. so th- okay, there's another. There's example. another player this safety is ob- issue. This is, this is obviously not a concussion-related issue, but Justin. Not only should Justin Herbert not have been out there, they're getting blown out. And the coach leaves him in with broken, what is it? They said broken, broken rib, cart- rib cartilage. He's, he's fractured rib cartilage. Visibly in pain. Yes. They're down by what? Three touchdowns. Yes. And the coach says, I'm going to leave him in the game. Yes. Why? I have no idea. It made no sense for the long term. Prediction? He will not be here with the Chargers at the end of the season. Who, the After coach? The end, yeah, he's done. Okay. Well, they're they're falling apart. But, I mean, the Jaguars are first in NFL in run defense. They've given up just 10 points in their last two games. And Trevor Lawrence and has looked Urban like... Urban Meyer is not here. He'll end up getting out of the uh, <laughs> job. Actually, the funny uh, thing is... He will not get an NFL Not job. an NFL job. He will get a college job. Yes. Uh, Doug Peterson is already uh, has more wins as coach of the Jaguars than, than Urban, Urban Meyer did. Meyer did. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there is that. Uh, Boston Scott's going to miss the game this week with a rib injury, so you may see Trace Irving get out there. But Jalen Hurts has been everything everybody hoped for for the first month. Mm-hmm. NFL Player of the Month, you see whether he keeps it going, but he's got weapons out there, and you would hope that the Jaguars, one of the Jaguars' weaknesses is their offensive line. You would hope the defense can get after it. But I don't think you're going to see many sacks because Trevor Lawrence has been getting the ball really quick out of his hands. And Doug is using that... Like, it's funny, Doug always tried to get Carson to do that, a three-step drop and get it out. Carson would hold it on forever to a five- and seven-step drop. Trevor Lawrence is actually getting the ball out, distributing it around. He's got Christian Kirk there. So he's got options and weapons in terms of what to do. The question is, what do they do in the weather? Give, give Peterson credit, not only for what he's doing with Lawrence after Urban Meyer screwed him up, but think about when, when he was here, Carson Wentz was at his best. With Peterson as a coach, yes, um, he has been. Carson Wentz has been 
a train wreck ever since. Can I check in with a couple minutes left before we go? Did the Phillies win game one, Jeff? I don't know. Come on, they were winning. Oh. Give, give me some score All updates. Right, you're, you're not paying attention I'll, to this eh. stuff? They're winning 5-1 in the top of the Oh, night. so you're saying I should go run out and get my playoff tickets? You know, I got that email today yeah. that I should get my divisional playoff That's tickets. Right. Not the wild card playoff tickets mm-hmm. to go travel wherever they're not going to be at home right, to see them, which they, they may not make any that playoff. anyway because yeah. of how they've played down the stretch. Right. But I should buy the divisional playoff tickets, which I'm sure they'll voluntarily give me that money back right after they don't make it. How frustrating is it they had this great second half run? And then all of a sudden they got to the end. I was going to say. You've they, listened to it on the radio with me for the past like three months. You you have literally said to me, do not ride this roller coaster. And I have said to you, I don't want to ride this roller coaster, but, but I will ride to. this roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And I am riding this roller coaster. I told you. And this week was freaking miserable. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. And on top of it, we got screwed <laughs> in the end because for, for everybody that's listening, we were going to have da- a surprise guest in Derek Hall. And he, and he gets got called up. rudely gets called back oh, up. Today. Imagine that. They actually <laughs> decide to bring him back on the roster where they could use an extra bat occasionally Look, uh, to drive in some yeah, runs. Yeah, but Derek is a great guy. And, and you, you know, we've interviewed him before. And he said we wish him nothing but success. And, and we'll have him on there. Look, you want, you want to talk about the struggling down the stretch. They've lost 10 of their last 13 games, five straight to who um to To the cubs well and that's the thing i kept saying to you they have the easiest schedule they have the easiest schedule and they're not performing on the easiest but the rest of this week is not easy because their last what three games are against the astros they are and this weekend who knows what the weather will allow it looks like they'll get through game one i would highly doubt they get through all of game two tonight you you wanted an update here's your update it's five to one but the bases are loaded with two outs in the bottom of the ninth of course they are. <laughs> Who's on? Is Robertson on or is Dominguez on? Dominguez is on. Oh, my God. Nothing can and be... And two of those were walks. Nothing can be easy with this team at all. Nope. There, there, so, was a, there was a tweet <laughs> that I told you about that I saw. Uh, Jeff, talk for a second while I find the tweet so that I can tell you what Why? So I can Phillies watch fan, you cry? What being a Phillies fan is actually like in terms of what this experiment is it's, that we're look, all it's, seeing. It's all sports fans. It's not just Phillies fans. There was a World Series a little over 10 years ago. It, you've had, <laughs> We've had the run. It's just somehow in between those runs of every 30 years or so, there are just these train wrecks. And this was the opportunity to do things and somehow make it to the playoffs. I mean, you have Bryce Harper here. He was the MVP last year, and he hasn't been to the playoffs. What is this, his third year? Yes, it hasn't happened. Gene Segura hasn't been in the playoffs since he's been in baseball. (laughs) Well, to be fair, he played for the Mariners beforehand, who haven't been in the playoffs in two decades. The tweet said, The Phillies are a decade-old psychological experiment designed to see how much madness a group of people can tolerate that's about to reach its gruesome end. And that's my question to you is, if they finish this collapse in the last minute that we have before we head to the break, Game over. Do people... Okay. You, you got your win. So they held on. You got your win, and Bailey Falter once again was the stopper. Which is stunning to me. The Phillies are 26-29 and 29 this season and, with Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler on the mound. And, and Bailey Falter has gone six innings and in six of his last eight starts and picks up the win again. And the irony here is Cesar Hernandez actually helped the Phillies just well, he now because out. he made the last <laughs> out. <laughs> thank, thank you, former <laughs> Philly Cesar Hernandez. Uh, Jeff, any final thoughts before we hit the break? Anything else you want to say before we get I, to our Doran I just Boss can't. Interview? I can't wait to just talk to John Dornbus. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Why don't we hit the break when we come back? We'll bring John Dornbus on. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains, and the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. 
They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Making right. his return to South Philadelphia and a former NFL player, magician, author, motivational speaker, somebody we're honored to join us. You can see him this Saturday night, October 1st at Live Casino. Welcome to the show, former Eagle John Dorenbos. Yeah, baby. Thank you so much for having me. If you get any more titles, I'm going to have to like cut the interview after the intro at this point. What's it like uh, to come back to the city where you had so much success performing as a pro player with all these additional talents and, and names now? Look, anytime I get to come back to Philly, I love it. Uh, the, the fan base and I, I've loved every second of it. You know, uh, somebody asked me recently, they're like, how would you describe the Philly fan base and uh, the relationship that you had with them? Uh, so here's what happened is I ended up having open heart surgery. Uh, my wife and I went back to Philly. We had the surgery at University of Penn. We're staying at our South Philly condo. And for a while, we would go out and just get mocked. People had questions, concerned, get it. So then we went to Bar Amis at the, uh, the Navy Yard. And we're sitting there, and nobody's talking to us. Like, it was like I was a nobody. It was great. I had my heart pillow, because if you cough or you laugh, you have to balance the pressure so your sternum doesn't pop open. And uh, nobody bothers us. We eat. I'm on a bunch of meds. I got to shuffle my feet. I'm super weak. And as we stepped off the patio and we started walking to our car one guy stood up two people then three then four then people came out of the restaurant and gave me the slow clap so i turn around and i start you know i was emotional at the time so i start crying we get in our car we wave we drive away and as we drive around the whole restaurant came out and they were cheering and and going nuts so i love philly i love the philly fans I love that wherever I go in the country, if I do a theater show, it's 40% Eagle fans. I love that if the long snapper has just got a regular hat backwards and, it's in a hoodie and is walking in the Dallas airport, there is an Eagles fan that will do the Eagles chant down the terminal of the airport and then go, go Magic Man. Like, <laughs> it's awesome, man. All right. So I got to ask the question because you brought up the long snapper. Philadelphia, Andy Reid, when he interviewed for the job as Eagles head coach, spent a half hour during his interview talking about the importance of the long snapper. Between Andy Reid is the perfect coach for you and this city, is there any place that a long snapper could be more appreciated than the city of Philadelphia? No, my timing worked out pretty good on that whole scenario, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It worked out real nice for me. And and playing for Coach Reid was one of the highlights of my career, you know, he was definitely a guy that's like, I'd rather just pay the kid and and not go cheap and not worry. And so he gave me an opportunity to work through the kinks. He believed in me. And uh, to this day, I'd run, I'd run through a brick wall for that guy. What's the thing that you remember most about playing for Andy? Oh man. I treat you to a cheeseburger after every meeting. <laughs> hey guys, here we are. Hey, we got a great game today. Didn't matter what city, give me a city, whatever. Oakland, we're playing the Raiders. Hey guys, we got a great game. Here's the keys to success. And uh, look, I know a lot of people might not know this about Oakland, but they got pretty good cheeseburgers. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to treat you to a cheeseburger. Let's go. Look, wait, I, you, yeah. wait, wait, hold on. You didn't have a cheeseburger in Philly, did you? I have to have cheesesteak. Oh, oh, yeah. We, we, we have cheeseburgers every night before games. Instead of cheesesteaks? Oh, well, they, they would have cheesesteaks as the option. There his, 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 his big sign-off was they treat you to a cheeseburger. Now, you, you know what the one thing I really loved about Andy Reid 
is he valued you as a person. He valued you as an individual. And so hear me out. I signed with the Eagles. Coach Reed comes up to me and goes, come here, kid. You want to go home, go home. You want to run, run. You want to work out, work out. You want to snap, go snap. If it's not there on Sunday, you're fired. Be a pro. And I looked at him and I said, coach, I think you and I are going to get along. So, and, and what I mean by that is, is not everybody works the same way, right? Not everybody needs to do the same drills. Not everybody needs to run the same amount. We're all pros. And so he valued that and gave you your freedom to be an adult and to, to handle yourself as a pro and get ready the way you needed to get ready. And I really, I really respected that. Well, and in terms of your life experiences being valued like that by your coach, you ended up writing about your, your life and your journey in the book, Life is Magic. Can you talk about how you sort of had a roadmap for shutting down that self-doubt and being able to perform wherever you are, whether it's on the field or in the boardroom when you speak to people or doing magic on stage? Yeah, so, so my book was really a, a, a lifelong journey that sometimes we don't even know that we're, we're in the heat of it, right? And so uh, when I was 12 years old, my father murdered my mother and my sister and I went into temporary foster care and went through really intense therapy. And then we eventually moved in with my aunt, who was my mom's sister. And in the therapy, there were three, th- three things that we focused on. It was come to terms with your reality, accept it, right? Find forgiveness. And when you find happiness, you grab onto that puppy and you never let go. And so here we are at different stages of our life the plan might not always go as planned, but the sooner we come to terms with our reality, the sooner we accept it, the sooner that we can find the positive, the sooner that we can find forgiveness, the sooner we can find happiness, the sooner we can make the best of the situation we're in. And so what I learned is that in life, it's very, very simple. If you show up every day on time, prepared and ready to work in whatever it is you do, you know what I learned about the world? If you don't give up on the world, the world will not give up on you. If you give up on yourself, the world's going to give up on you. So don't ever give up. Keep standing up. And it's what I love most about Philly too, right? It's the whole Rocky thing, right? Just keep standing up. Doesn't matter how hard you get hit. Just keep standing up. And I find that the athletes that do that, that don't point fingers, that don't blame other people, that take some sense of accountability and they keep standing up no matter how hard they get hit and they keep working and they keep showing up and they keep improving, the city loves them. And so my book is just that. How do we find happiness? How do we continue to persevere? How do we continue to grow? How do we continue to not only that, but be excited about the obstacles? How do we find motivation and defeat? How do we rewrite our script in our life? And it's all with the words that we, that the story we tell ourselves in our own head. Uh, and ultimately the book, uh, look, I wanted to see my dad for a long time, but nothing in life stemmed action. And so uh, I ended up getting married and my wife got pregnant. And when my wife was pregnant, I realized there's three words I've never said out loud. And I've never said, I forgive you out loud. And so my ultimate journey led to 27, 28 years later, sitting down with my dad for five and a half hours and saying, I forgive you for being really, really lost. And I forgive you for making a really big mistake. And uh, it was my journey to be a better dad than what I had. It was my journey to not let my past be an excuse. And it was my journey to be okay with where I come from and to be okay with the things that have happened in my life because I've learned from it and I'm not who I was. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, and and even two weeks ago. Uh, And I try and be this much better every single day. And so I forgave my dad so that I could be the dad that I never had to my little girl. And that has been by far my, uh, my, the love of my life. And and the best job I've ever had is being a dad. You know, your story, even just in isolation, just with what you just told is an inspiration, but it seems like you feel compelled or you think it's important to also give back and be able to help other people who have gone through something similar. 
what motivates you to use the platform that you've been given or that you've earned as a football player, as a magician, as a speaker to go in and try to help other people? You know, so I got into speaking in 2003. Uh, there was a speaker named Kevin Elko, who was a, a big time speaker in the financial service industry, was coming through the Bills facility and was doing an event there. And he's also a sports psychologist. And he said, this is what he said. I love this, too. This is like, this is how I got into speaking. He goes, uh, hey, you're a long snapper, right? He goes, yeah, you're the magician, right? He goes, yeah. Hey, you know that little pencil trick you do? Yeah, that stupid little pencil trick with the dollar bill and the pencil. And I was like, I mean, I think it's cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, do that. Tell your story of how you got into college. And so I did that. And that was the first kind of speaking thing I ever did. Best advice I ever got after that, Kevin came up to me and said, all right, listen, kid, uh, here's the deal. You could do all the magic you want, but you're not a magician. You need to be a speaker. And then he grew me over time. And what happens is once you start doing it and, and you share some vulnerability on stage and you start telling your story, I learned that I'm not telling my story so that people can just hear my story. I tell my story because there's certain points that people reflect on their own life and they can think of the decisions they made and, and they can reflect and they can figure out where they can be better or where they need to have uh, some forgiveness or where they need to be okay with things that have happened to them. And then sure enough, after you're done speaking, I get it all. People come up to me and be like, hey, I was molested. I was raped. Uh, my, my dad uh, killed my brother. My, my mom did this. And I was like, you know, I've, I was an alcoholic dad. I, have, I used to beat my own kids. I haven't talked to my son in 20 years. I just called him for the first time and said, I'm sorry. Um, I had a lady that uh, after a show had a bracelet that Nelson Mandela gave her. And it had his prison number embroidered in it. And she said, I think it's time I pass this on to you. And I was like, wow. So you start doing these things and you start seeing the way that people react. Um, and you start feeling like maybe this is my purpose, is that maybe me sharing my story helping other people is, is why I'm here. And so I, I want to say this too, because this is something really, really cool that got brought up when we were writing the book. And um, a lot of people, when something happens, they feel like the world's kicking them down. They feel like the world's jumping on top of them. They feel like they can't breathe. The world's suffocating them. If it's not one thing or it's another, and they start making excuses, right? They start becoming the victim. For as long as I can remember, I've never felt that way. When something happens to me in the little pretend world that I live up in here, the world's always been cheering for me. So anytime the world knocked me down, I literally felt like the whole world's cheering me on to stand up. So stand up. Like you're in the middle of the arena. The world's cheering, chanting your name right now. You have to stand up. Stand up. And it's a difference of, of perception. It's a difference of the story we tell ourselves. But for me, no matter how hard life gets or whatever obstacle I've been faced with, it's not the world ganging up on me. It's just the world testing me, and then the crowd's cheering me to stand up, and, and I do. What does it mean to you to be that light in the darkness for all these different people that you come across, having walked through those dark days yourself? It's intense, man. Um, you know, with, uh, with great respect comes great responsibility. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, I just, I just want to keep being true to who I am. I want to keep being true to the magic that I love and, and the show that I love. Um, and I feel like if I do that, then good things will happen. Um, and, in, in, and in time you affect people in a very positive way. It's, uh, it's one of the biggest compliments ever. I mean, like I said, when people come up after my show, I get everything. And, you know, to hear somebody that says, I haven't talked to my dad in 30 years, I just called him. And the first thing he said is, I'm sorry. As soon as he picked up the phone, he said, I'm sorry. 
And, you know, maybe it's time that I let go of some things because I haven't been perfect either. And, um, you know, so forgiveness is, is, it's not, you know, for me, it's not, it's not you win, I lose, I'm waving the white flag, right? And let's go be buddies. I'm okay with what you did. Ha, 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 fist bump, let's move on. So for me, forgiveness was nothing more than this. And check this out. If you can either relate or know somebody that will directly relate to this. Two people are married. They get divorced. One goes on and lives their married life, never looks back. The other keeps living and is bitter and resentful and constantly talking about this other person that has gone every day of their life living in happiness. One lives in vision, one lives in circumstance. So to me, the idea of forgiveness was I'm going to take a step in my life where somebody that's no longer in my life is going to affect my life. Think about that. How many people go through life when somebody no, no longer in their life is affecting their life in a negative way. So when I went and forgave my dad, it was me basically saying that little ball of anger and resentment and bitterness that I've been holding on to for a long time, it's gone. I don't care anymore. I hope you're doing great things. I don't care if you're out of prison. I don't care. I, it doesn't matter to me. You're not in my life anymore. And I'm going to be everything that I never had. And peace out. When I left that, that, that lunch that we had, it was symbolic. I literally took a step. And it was like the first step of my new life. So don't look at forgiveness as winning and losing. Look at it as releasing yourself, freeing yourself, and not living in bitter and angerness and resentment. You know, you went through this whole journey, but when you were 12, that journey started with a tragedy, but led to you doing magic, which is why you're in Philadelphia this weekend. What led you to magic and, and what led you to, to become as good as you are? You, you, you appeared on America's Got Talent. You are a finalist on, on a pretty amazing show with people doing all sorts of crazy things. What led you and motivated you to be as good at magic as you were as a long snap? So it's funny because I think when I got into magic, I didn't get into it to be a magician. So I was 12, 13 years old living. Uh, I had just uh, left the temporary foster home. I was living with a little league baseball coach because I made the all-star team. And their neighbor was Michael Groves, who was a 16-year-old magician. And he did a few tricks. And I thought it was unbelievable. So what happens is he takes me down and we learn a few, he takes me to the magic shop. I learn a few tricks. What I figured out is that if I sat in a corner and shuffled cards, it's the only time in my childhood that the world quieted. The sound of the riffle was the only time I felt like I was just a kid. And I wasn't thinking about losing not just one parent, but both and the foster and moving and my dad going to prison. And I, I just, I would shuffle and get lost. And I wanted to get lost in being a kid as much as I possibly could. And so I would learn these moves. You know, uh, it's funny because when, when I started dabbling in the guitar and, and when I started playing, I was like, okay, like literally first day, all right, how does, how does Hendrix play? How does Mayer play? How does Eric Clapton play? How does Stevie Ray Vaughan play? First things I ever learned were like Clapton solos. And so when I did card stuff, I was like, who's the best in the world? All right, let's do his stuff. And so, and then I taught myself my own technique. And then all of a sudden you do this for years and years and years and years you hope that you would get pretty good at something right after you spend this much time. And so then all of a sudden you kind of come into your personality. Right. And then I was the kid in high school who showed up at a little get together. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I can do a card trick. And then it's like, <laughs> you just like regurgitate like 10 years of like being obsessed with, you know, having this lonely childhood. And it's like, okay, so you take card tricks a lot more seriously than the other kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, and that's kind of how it happened. And then as I just progressed, life just took me on a stream where, um, you know, the other thing I'm really thankful for is I had a mentor named Ken Sands who 
he taught me tricks, but he also taught me that the magic trick's not the end all be all, right? If you do a trick and you're looking for that to be the end all be all, you're going to get a golf clap. But if you can get people to care about who you are, why you're there and what you're doing, then you can make a coin disappear in an arena and get a standing ovation. Uh, and then we don't need another David Copperfield. So don't be them, be you. And so sure enough, when I did America's Got Talent, that was like a platform for me to kind of show the magic world, who I am and what I stand for and what my style is all about. And, you know, look, look, here's the reality. You've got like your Star Warsian people and then your Star Trekian people. And then below all of that are magicians. We are the dorkiest of the dork. We take the cake on all that, right? So it's been cool to kind of bring a little swag to, to that kind of uh, genre of stuff. It seems like in addition to being entertaining, magic is sort of your gateway to storytelling. What's it like to do magic before an arena of people after playing in front of stadiums where you're on a team? Now the spotlight's on you on the stage in a packed house. What's that like? Uh, it's rock star, man. It's it's rock star. Uh, it's everything I've ever dreamed of. Look, I want I wanted to be a rock star, but I can't sing. I can't dance and I can't play an instrument that well. Right. So check that off the box. You know, so we funny. so we don't have to add musician the next time we introduce. <laughs> I, you know, what? I can add I can Adam Sandler it right. I can play I, I can play some riffs and then and sing some funny songs. I got you there. But other than that, that sounds um, like a whole nother show for you. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so here's a funny story. So I'm in junior college and I had a chance to play baseball and it was baseball or football. And baseball was just too slow. So I was like, all right, let's go football because I wanted to play in front of a hundred thousand people, right? Uh, and baseball wasn't going to happen. So all of a sudden, I go to UTEP, first game's Oklahoma. It's 98,612 people, first game. Oh, so, so close. close. <laughs> but not 100. All right, so now check this out. I don't play in front of 100,000 people until Dallas builds their new stadium. So now I'm with the Eagles. We go to Dallas. And look, we play Kentucky, Alabama, Texas A&M, but none of them are 100,000. And so sure enough, I get to Dallas, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I look at Donnie Jones, the point. I'm like, Donnie, do you have any idea what this is? He's like, no, what's up, man? And Donnie played at LSU, so he was like, it's like another Tuesday for him, right? So I go, there's 100,000 people here. He goes, yeah. I go, Do you have any idea how cool that is? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so, so now all of a sudden, I'm in the tunnel. I'm the first one to run out. And I can't wait because I've been dreaming of the moment. I run out in front of 100,000 people and they go nuts. Well, Donnie and I ran out of the tunnel together. And it was in my head they were cheering. But in Dallas, I had 107,000 people booing me, right? <laughs> so I get to the star and I'm standing on the star and I'm like this. In an away stadium, I'm going like this, right? And Donnie's like, what are you doing? I'm like, bro, in my head, they were cheering, but they're booing right now. And it's also cool. Just take it in, take it in. All right, let's go. He's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. Um, but hey, anytime you can you can get that rock star feeling, right? Anytime you can be on stage and just feel the, I'm an energy guy, right? And I, and I think about this too, not just the energy from stage, but I think the way you view yourself, the way you talk to yourself, it's the same way you're going to view the world. It's the same way you're going to talk about the world. So if you can harness this energy and create this energy in an arena, in a theater, in an auditorium, wherever it is, man, it's rock star. And it's 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 totally addicting. It's it's like it's like being an adrenaline junkie without having to do roller coasters and all that, right? And then all of a sudden everybody leaves my show feeling good about life. Dude, that's a fun day at work, man. It must be just a completely different feeling. As a football player, you may be in front of a hundred thousand people, but you have a helmet on. You're, you're kind of anonymous, especially as somebody who's playing on a line. And then all of a sudden, you have no mask on. Until you, you no commit a penalty. <laughs> yeah, you have no, yeah, right. You have no protection from, from the world and that booing and things like that. Is When you first started doing to these large groups of people, was there any part of you that was 
intimidated by it? Uh, no, actually excited. Intimidated is the wrong word. I was excited. Uh, and here's something else, too. When, when you're in the NFL, especially now with how big sports betting has gotten, uh, I've, I've witnessed it. Death threats are real. Uh, I, I've seen players and, and coaches escorted home by FBI agents put into full body proof, uh, uh, you know, like uh, bulletproof outfits. Um, so you, you mess up in a game and, and you affect spreads and, and betting the wrong people get involved. You get death threats, right? Uh, you mess up in a show and I miss your card. Ooh, nobody cares. You push on. Don't ask me about it later. We all have a good chuckle and we move on. Like, Nobody's fantasy gonna... team lost oh. because your card trick went wrong. Yeah, my oh yeah. Or I'll tell you what, I had like twelve. I had I had a lot of surgeries when I played, believe it or not. And so, like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I get a paper cut. <laughs> like, it's like this is this is great, guys. What could I mean? What could go wrong? You know what I mean? It's easy. It's easy. So then you you know if I understand right, you combined your love of cards with your ability to come across a lot of celebrities now is it true that you get an autograph of every famous person yeah. that you perform with on playing cards and hang it up in your house yeah so um i was never like an autograph collector it was more the memory i, I was a memory collector and so every celeb or person i've played with they've, they've signed playing cards and so in my house it's not even so much eight by tens right it's all playing cards signed by all these people that i've, I've come across the way um, my favorite, so I wanted to meet three people, right? I was a fan of Garth Brooks, Jay Leno, Adam Sandler. Those are the three. Uh, 2003, Garth Brooks has a foundation called Teammates for Kids, and it's for athletes to partner up with them. And I get invited, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I do magic for Garth Brooks, flipping out. Martin. So then Garth, we're at the Mirage in Las Vegas. Garth Brooks says this to me, John, you got to come meet a friend of mine. I was like, yeah, let's go. We go into the next room. Garth Brooks introduces me to Jay Leno. My no. mind just goes, <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? So I got to meet those two rock star. And then Adam Sandler was coming through Philly and he was doing a show at the Tower Theater. Uh, and his guy called me and said, Hey, Sandler's kids are fans of yours from AGT. He'd love to see some tricks. Do you want to come backstage? What? <laughs> so, you know, I really magic led me to Garth Brooks, Jay Leno, and Adam Sandler, the three people I always wanted to meet. So, uh, but yeah, that's what I do. If, and, and you know what's really cool? Some, some, there are some celebs that don't like to sign. Right. And there are people that don't want to ask the celebrity for autographs because they don't want to make it weird. Well, when you're the football playing magician guy doing card tricks, it's always OK to ask for a signature. <laughs> always. Who's who's the obviously those three were the ones you wanted autographs from. Who's the one that just came up to you out of the blue that you just you just went, wow, I can't believe this person's asking me. Uh, oh, wow. Um, well, this happens. Uh, I, I'm at UTEP. And I have a QMB class, which is what quantitative math of business. So I had a QMB test coming up, but I was leaving for my first uh, my first workout with the Bills, like my first mini camp. <clears throat> so I leave UTEP. I'm going to Buffalo. I land at the hotel. My phone rings. Hey, John, Jim Kelly. <laughs> of course it is. I'm in Buffalo, Jim Kelly. Why wouldn't it be right? Hey, I'm having an event. Coach Williams said you can come. I'm picking you up in the morning. You cool with that? Bring some cards. We're excited to see the Magic Man. I was like. No problem. Limo rolls up 8.30 the next morning. Keep in mind, this is my very first experience in the NFL. Out this doesn't limo, sound like a typical rookie experience, by the way. No, no. Out of the limo comes Jim Kelly, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Thurman Thomas, Daryl Talley, Bruce Smith, Drew Bledsoe, Jason Taylor, uh, Chris McDonald, the actor Shooter McGavin. Uh, and they're all in this limo going to the event. And I was like, holy, like, 
And then I just did a bunch of stuff for all those guys. And uh, it was rock star, man. It was awesome. You know, it, it's one of those things where two professions that I'm sure so many people in my life said he's not going to make any money playing football. And he's sure as heck not going to make any money being a magician. Like, who's going to want to date this guy? You know what I mean? Loser. Uh, and now all of a sudden, both of them together is what separated me my whole life. And even when I come across actors, right? There's a lot of actors that are big Eagles fans. And I was always welcomed. And, and like, you got to come to the VIP after party. You got to do the magic for so-and-so and so-and-so. And I was like, dude, heck yeah. But I was always the NFL guy. So they, actors want to be NFL guys. NFL guys want to be actors. And it was just, and then I was a card trick guy. So it, it separated me. In, in a crowd of many. Well, you you have just just so everyone knows, Mike Tolan, who has been on this show, uh, who did the, the last one of the producers of the Last Dance, has has the rights, I believe, to your story now. If you had your choice, who would you want to play you? And second, do you want to be in that movie too? Oh man, you know what? There's a lot. Um, uh, I mean, oh, man. <laughs> Look, I think Chris Pratt would be amazing. You know, Miles Teller's a Philly guy and did an interview that he wants to be a uh, he, he wants to play a Philly sports player. You know, and I know he's a Phillies fan, but I know he's an Eagles fan. He wanted to be a Philadelphia athlete. So, you know, I think Miles Teller would be cool. Um, I'm buddies with John Krasinski. Like, I think Krasinski would be cool. You know, I don't know when when you talk to Mike last, but the script is amazing. So John Gatons wrote it. Um, he wrote Flight with Denzel. And if I can, can I can I share just the synopsis? Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the basic premise is, uh, so I'm the third character in my own movie, which I already like that. I think that's really cool. Uh, there's a guy in New York and he's kind of a distant dad, rich guy and his company, he was losing his company from underneath him. And so his company said, let's bring in Dornboss. Let's bring in Dornboss. Like he's just motivational. And they gave him my book and the guy's like, dude, what is this clown? Like, what do you guys want to bring in a magician? Are you serious right now? This is a joke. He goes home. His ex-wife's leaving to get married. His daughter comes to stay with him, who he's not really a good dad, teenage daughter. Teenage daughter sees my book in the dad's bag and says, oh, my gosh, like, are, are you going to work with Dornboss? Like, I loved him on AGT. I read his book. Dad, you have to read this book. This guy's a clown show, dude. He's a clown. So he doesn't read it. He ends up going to work the next day. And the, the daughter uh, tries to commit suicide in his apartment in New York when he's at work. So now, all of a sudden, the daughter's in a coma in the hospital. And the dad gets the call. So the dad rushes down to the hospital and he's sitting at the bedside of his daughter and he looks over and sees the book in his bag. And he reads my book to his daughter while she's in a coma. And so my life story is kind of told Princess Bride, you know, where the grandpa reads the, the book to the kid. And now the story is really about those two and how they kind of come to terms with what the reality is, what the past is and what the future might be all in the context of reading my book. And it's, Man, it's amazing. I'm super proud of it. It sounds just as powerful as your actual life story, uh, which is kind of difficult to to fathom you could do that. Uh, the show is this Saturday night at Live Casino. Tell our listeners what they can expect if they see you to get their tickets. And uh, are you expecting an Eagles chant? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it's still funny. So every theater I go to, it's like 40% Eagles fans, even out of state. And they all do the Eagles chant as soon as I walk out. And it's just like, hey, just so you know, like, let's just say we're in Kansas City, right? Just so you know, uh, the other 60% of this theater hate all of you. <laughs> and I and I love you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Especially well, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, Dallas, they go hardcore there. Like, they're even louder, right, because it's Dallas. Uh, Ray, real quick, uh, to go back, you said Mike Tolan. 
here's what's really cool about this. Um, I believe this, and I've never met anybody, and I'm not trying to sound like that guy right now, but I guess I am. Um, you come across life and you come across people. Uh, I'm really good at manifesting things in my life. And you got to believe it. You got to taste it, smell it, hear it. You got to talk to yourself about it. You got to let the world know through energy and just believing and showing up every day on time, prepared and ready to work, that that's the direction you're headed. And the world, again, right? Don't give up on the world. The world's not going to give up on you. And so my buddy was doing a movie called Radio. He was number three on the call sheet. His name was Riley Smith. And Radio was with Ed Harris, Cuba Gooding Jr., and my buddy Riley. And at the time, my buddy goes, yo, you got to meet our, our producer director. He's like, you know, from Philly. He's a huge Philly guy. His name's Mike Tolan. And so my buddy Riley connects Mike and I. That's when we first met. And my buddy Riley was like, yo, dude, they got to do a movie on your life. Like, Tolan has to do it. Like, you got to get Tolan to do a, 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 a movie. And at that moment, I said, you know what? There's nobody else I want to do my movie than Tolan. And so we just kind of, and it got brought up a couple times. And then we had a friendship. And then as my life kept progressing, he kind of came up to me one day and he goes, hey, man, uh, what do you think about doing a movie on your life? He goes, but I need a third act. Like, I, I get where we're at, but I just need a third act. And then all of a sudden, when he said that, I got traded, right? Right after I broke, tied the record for 162 straight games, I got traded to the Saints, went into open heart surgery, wife got pregnant, and I went to go forgive my dad. And Tolan called me and goes, okay, I think we got the third act. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but he was the only one that I ever wanted to do it. And sure enough, here we are. Um, Did you really need to it. get sick for a third act, though? <laughs> I, I, I mean, we, we get that you do things, everything 100% full speed ahead, but you couldn't have come up with like a third act that would have been a little less dramatic. I know, right? You know, I just thought, hey, go big, go home. Well, uh, we, we're glad you went big, told the story, and gave us a few minutes to hear all about it. Uh, encourage everybody to go see this Saturday Night at Live Casino. Uh, John Dorenboss, thanks so much for the time and for everything you do, uh, inspiring some other people to, to see the light a little bit every day. Yeah. Hey, you guys are rock stars. Thanks for having me. And for those that uh, want to come out on Saturday night, I promise you, I, I read a quote when I was getting into performing, and I forgot who it was, and I'm so embarrassed. Uh, but it was basically like, they're not going to remember what you say. They're not going to remember what you did, but they're going to remember the way you made them feel. And so when you come to my show, I tell you this, my three influences are Garth Brooks, Carrot Top, and Mike Tyson. Garth Brooks, because if you've never seen him on stage, when you watch him, you feel like you're the only one there and you feel like it's the first and last show he'll ever do. And he's giving you everything he has. Carrot Top, has ne there's nobody more genius at just music sound bites and just quick hitters that just pop in the show to keep your attention, right? And then Mike Tyson. If you haven't seen Mike Tyson's one-man show, I've never seen the most feared man in the world, right? Be more self-deprecating, funny, and vulnerable. So it's all of those mixed up. I hope that you're going to come to the show. I hope that you're going to laugh. You're going to be amazed with amazing magic. But I also hope that you're going to sit there and maybe reflect on one or two things. They might be little or they might be big in your life. And you're going to leave feeling better about yourself and the world around you. And hopefully feel inspired to make the, the right change in your life, whether it's big or small. Uh, and that's that's my goal, and and we've been successful doing it. So life is magic. I appreciate you all having me. Live casino this Saturday, eight o'clock, baby. If you ain't there, I'll say it again. You're wrong, baby. That's the best pitch we can get, John Dorenboss. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. You want to talk about a player who can probably relate to this city more after his time playing than before, even the impact he had. That was a powerful interview. I enjoyed it. He's a powerful person. His, his life story. I mean, I already can't wait to see the movie. Yeah, I, you know, I knew that they were making the movie 
And I knew about it from the Tolan angle that we asked him about, the mm -hmm. producer, but I didn't know how they're going to do it. Telling the story of his life through the eyes of a father and a daughter seems to make his story even more powerful, if he, you can do that. He's such an inspirational person. Yeah. Like, like, forget whether he's a football player, he's a magician. It's, it's all of the things and what he's overcome. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the thing. Magic is sort of the, his gateway to getting his message out, to making people realize that you can keep going because he did. And like that's that's cool. Yeah. So if you're if you're in Philly or you're around, go see him. Yeah, go see I him. Mean, I mean, how much fun would be that be to go see him? And I had heard him say someplace. Just else, don't we do didn't, the Eagles. Chant. We didn't. Oh, people <laughs> definitely do the Eagles. Chant. But I heard that like sometimes like Eagles and other players show up at his shows when mm -hmm. he's in the area. So you know they do have a game on Sunday. We'll, we'll see whether they end up showing up to to support a former eagle any final thoughts before we sign off for the day jeff i think that's it i think if you get the chance go see john dorenboss cheer him on and, and just listen to his stories because he's one of the most personable affable people i think we've ever interviewed thanks so much for joining us this week make sure to join us next friday night to help you start your weekend in style have a great one and we'll talk to you next week Bye bye <laughs>